Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. Today, our guest is Miriam Grieger, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a licensed clinical counselor in both California and Illinois. She has an online psychotherapy practice where she helps gay, lesbian, bi, and pansexual, transgender, and queer folks dig deep, know themselves fully so they can lead bold, fulfilling, and authentic lives. And she brings her own experience of growth, recovery, and resilience as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. So today we're going to talk a little bit about her story, but also about some of the issues that impact the LGBTQ plus community specifically in dealing with codependency and just dealing with mental health. So it's a great episode Miriam has a contagious positive energy about her. So it was really fun just talking with her and just connecting with her human spirit. So I hope you get that same connection when you listen to this episode and I hope you enjoy it. Before you do that, if you're getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind podcast, rate and review us on iTunes. That really does help support the podcast, helps people find the podcast. And I do read them and I do appreciate it a lot. It means a lot to me to see that people are listening and getting a lot out of this podcast and, and all the guests that come on. So for those of you that have done that, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And consider joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right. Thanks for listening. And let's go ahead and start this episode. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Miriam Giger. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed clinical counselor in both California and Illinois. She has an online psychotherapy practice where she helps gay, lesbian, bi, and pansexual, transgender, and genderqueer folks dig deep to know themselves fully so they can lead bold, fulfilling, and authentic lives. So, Miriam, I want you to introduce yourself. I'm excited to talk about all of this, especially about the LGBT community and addiction and codependency and some of the unique challenges 
that community faces in recovery. So Miriam, just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That's a great introduction. And I am all of those things. <laughs> I'm a licensed therapist and I'm a member of the LGBTQ community as well. You know, I, I identify as like a lesbian or queer, you know, the, both of those work. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of have a very unique experience in my training where I was actually able to, from the very jump when I was doing things like practicum and internship, I worked exclusively with the queer community. Um, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time, which has so many great clinics that are LGBTQ focused. So I was able to go in and do that to the point where I, uh, you know, occasionally, you know, we, the clinics would serve anybody, you know, there was no right, barrier right, to right. entry. So if I, I, I would have maybe a, a straight client and I would have to uh, refresh myself on things like how birth control works, right? Because <laughs> right. it was just not in my You're zeitgeist like, as much. I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, I know, I know about these things. And, and in, you know, in the past, I learned about them in school and all those things. But so it was really, I mean, a wonderful way to, to learn. Um, and I think it continues to serve me now in my private practice. But even when I was working out in the community, you know, I worked with kids in foster care for a while. I worked in an inpatient setting. I think it gave me a lot of extra sort of empathy and also comfort just talking about either sexuality or gender in general for anyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What what pulled you to want to be a, a marriage and family therapist or a counselor to do this kind of work? What drew Good you question. to this? Well, so <laughs> I'll open I, it up so, right there. So my my mother had a PhD in psychology or ABD. She was all but dissertation. She got all the way there and was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And then my dad right. was a minister. And so my dad did a lot of things like pastoral counseling and, and uh, you know, it's very, very much a empathetic human person and community focused person. But I didn't clock that, you know, I did something else in undergrad and I worked in a corporate environment and I have an associates in apparel and production design. And I was working in my last corporate job. I was designing dog clothes, like kid you not dog clothes for big box stores, which is a huge industry. And it's wow. so I didn't hollow. know that. Oh, yeah. People are really spend money on their pets. And so, you know, there's a demand for it. And it, it was fun, right? But at the same time, there was not a lot of meaning. You know, I didn't yeah, get a lot out yeah. of that. You know, it was like fun to see something you made in a store, but that really only lasts once or twice. Yeah, so exactly. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I I just looked into I was like, I had always been interested in public health. I had almost minored in psychology. But, you know, sort of college was sort of, you know, college is wasted on the young. I never really kind of fully w let myself go there until I honestly got a great therapist and realized what therapy actually was and decided to go back to graduate school. It was sort of um, kind of your own, your own journey to, to get there and really realize like, wow, this is really to work with people, to help people. Yeah, it's, it's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. It's fascinating. It, it's never, ever boring because I did the kind of thing where I took a little class here and I took a class there. And I looked into, you know, early childhood education or maybe public health. There's sort of all things in that. And I just kept going with the mental health, right, and psychology and counseling and people, you know. And then when I was like, well, do I go research track or do I go the clinical work track? It was like so clear and easy, you know, at that point. Um, so I kind of just luckily just 
trusted myself enough, you know, not that there were, I didn't have doubts because it was, you know, I was in my thirties by that time, you know, and I had a, I had a job where I was, it took me years to make what I was making in a corporate (laughs) job, which is like being able to pay my bills. So yeah, that's kind of how I got there. Um, And I just love it. I just love it. It's just the best job in the world. It is to, to be yeah. able to help people and to see people grow. And then, you know, in oh turn, help yourself at the oh same gosh, time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, and it's, the kids to hear so many stories. I think that's one of my favorite things is like just hearing this whole, just so many diverse lives and stories and get the privilege of getting to know them. You know, I only have one life to live, right? But I get to hear so many different lives in the work I do, um, which is which has just enriched my life so much, I think. Yeah, I, I think it gives us appreciation of of our humanity yeah. when we see all these different lives. We we see how similar we all are and how different we all are, and it's an amazing experience. So, mm-hmm. so you started doing this work, and you started working in with codependency and the mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community. And so, we're going to talk a little bit about that and specific issues around that. So, let's jump in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think it's good to when we talk about codependency can mean so many things, which honestly, I kind of like, I don't like like a real strict definition, you know, like a real clinical definition that you get out of a book. I do like it because also it gives people some sort of vague idea what we're talking about. Right. But you know, the, the first exposure I had to codependency was pretty, I think, maybe typical or the more stereotypical that it's like in the context of like addiction, particularly like addictive family systems or, or, or adult relationships. So that's like the first I ever heard of it. And it just kind of kept being one of those things that I just saw again and again and again in the people I was working with. And, you know, it's hard to say, is it statistically significant? I don't know, you know? Right. Right. But at the same time, I saw it so frequently and then had my own, journey with, you know, I have alcoholics in my family. I did my own kind of personal work with codependence for years, which is what got me into therapy. And I just found too, unfortunately, there's not a lot of like great literature or language or training about how to help people with it, or really how to help yourself with it uh, outside of like a con or like a, a pretty narrow recovery context. Right. I mean, a lot of these yeah. books are written for you know, straight individuals, straight relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And so they don't have this other context to them. And yeah. so I, I think we can take the concepts, but at the same time, there's there's things that might get missed in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, one of the big things with, with the LGBTQ community that is, is easy, when it, it's one of those easy things to kind of miss or not see how it might impact it. But when you spend your whole life, even if you have the most accepting family in the world, which we all know many people don't, but say you do, you're still getting all these messages that like, you're weird, you're bad, or you just don't see yourself in the media, um, or you have yeah. to justify yourself, or, you know, you have to look a certain way or be a certain way. And, you know, people adapt, right? Like the self wants to be accepted by the community. So the self is right. going to be in there. Like, okay, well, I guess I need to be like this, or I need to hide these parts of myself. And I need to get really good at get, walking into a room and telling how safe I'm going to be in about three or four seconds, right? Right. Which anyone who's like grown up with maybe drug abuse or alcohol abuse in the home gets really good at, right? You walk into the room and you can clock in about two or three seconds what the mood is. Yeah. And so if you're also doing that with... Yeah, go ahead. 
No, I was also saying, I don't think a lot of people appreciate the significance of having to have that framework of assessing every situation you're Uh in, if it's safe or not. I mean, as a straight white male, that doesn't come up a lot for me, right? That's not a piece that I have to think a lot about because for me, you know, that's the, I guess, the privileged piece, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that other piece of like having to go into a space and make those calculations has a huge impact on how you operate in the world and it gets underappreciated. Yeah. Yeah. If if you don't, if you don't understand it or I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Because it is sort of like, I mean, it's so funny. I was just talking with someone about there's this new show on that's set in the 40s. And there's LGBTQ people in it, and there's violence towards them, right? And we were both just like, isn't it sad that like, we can't say like, well, at least that's in the past, right? Yeah, there are some things we can say are in our past, you know, but we can't say that's really in our past yet. I know. So, so if we're, to, you know, and, and there's those extreme things like physical safety, and then there's all those sort of little low level, which I think kind of really kind of, I'm going to sound very Californian, but it sort of vibrates on the more kind of like codependent spectrum of things, these little subtle micro things that be really nice or make sure other people feel comfortable, you know, don't be too feminine or don't be too masculine or, and on and on and on. And the, the problem with that is that. I think, you know, you probably know too, that you can't really just keep that siloed to one thing without it kind of globalizing to all your, all the ways you interact with people in the world, right? Especially when you've gotten really good feedback, right? When it keeps you related to people. Oh, when I'm, you know, when I'm not too butch or I'm not too feminine or I'm not too this or that, like I have more friends, right? Or my dad wants to hang out with me, right? Or, or, or whatever, or this person thinks I'm cute. So it becomes kind of the strategy for, unfortunately, that we can become really ripe for creating those dynamics in ways that aren't so healthy. Right. And I imagine yeah. this becomes more and more automatic the more you have to practice yeah. it to to survive, really, mm-hmm. in, in our culture. It yeah. just starts to get ingrained into that person's life and how yeah. they operate in the world. It's from this yeah. this lens. Yeah, yeah. And I really think, too, you know, one of the things is with codependence, sometimes it gets sort of defined as like an addiction, like to relationships or an addiction to drama or, you know, like kind of all those those things you maybe hear in like a recovery room or, or read in a book. But the one thing I don't love about that is that we need relationships, like really deeply need people. We need each other, yeah. right? We need validation. We need to be mirrored. We need from infancy on, you know, we need other people to love us right it's <laughs> just basically yeah, to put it really simply and we want to have fun with people and we want to get to know people and you know we want to be challenged and and all of those good things but the problem is is that drive is so strong that when you kind of layer on this other stuff it gets a little it can kind of come out a little sideways and get a little convoluted right and, and yeah. it kind of gets lost in all of that like that mm-hmm. connection starts to get lost in in mm-hmm some of these these issues that yeah. you you have to live in and then that creates all kinds of unhealthy behaviors or behaviors that don't match the person's life. Yeah. 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 And it does become too I think there's this tendency to give people really the benefit of the doubt to keep that connection strong, right? But that can be such a slippery slope, right? Like say you're dating someone and they say something kind of weird 
right? And you're like, oh, they're kind of tired or like, you know, well, I, you know, I know they have a hard job or they have a hard background, so whatever, but those can kind of slowly snowball, right? But you want to keep that connection so bad and you're already so used to doing it, right? Like, right? Like, oh, well, I'm in a room where somebody just used a slur. Oh, oh, well, you know, it, it just dismiss it. Okay. Just kind of have to bury <laughs> you know? that, that piece. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And when it's already habitual, it can get into a lot of trouble there. Yeah. And this this creates like a, attachment issues, like now being able to bond with other people because you've had to hide these parts of yourselves or you can't just be fully yourself because it's not accepted or or it's dangerous. Right. You have to do that. And how, how does that start to play out? Well, it's hard because too, you hardly can even get to know yourself, right? Like, what am I like? I don't, you know, I've been pretending to be somebody else for so long, right? What am I even like? What do I like? What do I want? What do I not like? What are the great parts about me? What are the parts that maybe, you know, aren't so great? You know, maybe I'm kind of a a pill about something and, and maybe I'm really talented and gifted at something else. So that's kind of when it, like when I'm, you know, working with a client, sometimes that's before we even know, like what kind of relationship you want you have to know well what are you like right what do you like right in a way that's not referential to other people because i mean i will say too like i've you know kind of growing up the way i grew up i i didn't really know you know i had some vague idea of like my hobbies but as far as like i just want people to like me right right you know i just want to have friends and a partner and i want somebody to think i'm great (laughs) but i don't know what makes me great so any kind of attention I can get is is preferable to nothing. So I'll go with something. Right. And I'll, and I'll take that even though it may not fit in my really align with my values or really align with where I'm at. I'm yeah. making these sacrifices to to just get some relationship or some sense mm-hmm. of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Totally. And then that's the sort of the, the rub of that's what sort of relationships just feel like. That's what love starts, or either love or connection or community starts to feel like. Is that right. sort of like just that sort of distorted self becomes what it is. And that's right. really, it's a process to sort of slowly break that, you know, and it's one of those things you can't, you don't just stop it. You know, you don't just realize, oh, I'm just going to stop doing this. You know, it's sort of a process of unfolding. Right. And so that sort of onion metaphor, you kind of got to slowly get some of the layers off to get to that. Well, who am I and what do I want? Yeah. And so when when clients come to you and and they're coming in and they're starting to work on these issues, what are some of the, the main things that they present when they when they come in? What are the main struggles that that you face? And then how do you start to work through that? It's, I mean, it's a different for, it's just such an obnoxious answer, but it's different for everyone. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know, I, I know, I, I know I kind of yeah. like set you up there. Like that, that's know. a, that's a big, big, broad question. I know, but it is enough, you know, I mean, you know, you kind of get your sort of algorithms, you know, you get your kind of like, if this, then, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. or like, these are sort of the things I watch for, you know, because I will say not everybody. And that's the other thing is like, I will occasionally have people come in or even friends or something and they've got a an addiction issue and then maybe with a partner or a family member and they're not they're, it's not ha- coming up for them the code you know codependency stuff they're right, not trying right. to control they're like i know there's nothing i can do about this it's really painful i'm gonna do right. what i can and i'm gonna set boundaries and i'm like where'd you get this 
like, right. it, took, it took me like a good 15 years to get there. So how, how did you get here? Yeah. But, but, and, you know, some of the things that I'm sort of, I sort of watch for, and I, you know, will point out to a client is often I'll say, how did you feel when X, Y, Z, right? How did you feel when they, they stole from you? You know, how did you feel that when your partner stole money from you? Because they needed to go shopping or buy drugs right, right. or, and they won't be able to, not, not that they will say to me, I don't know how to answer that, but they just won't answer. It, it's almost just like they haven't heard me, right? I'll say, well, how did you feel? You know, well, they're, they're really just struggling. They really just need to get into recovery, you know, it's sort of, yeah, it'll be like, well, how did you, you know, did you, how did you feel about that? And they can't answer. It'll divert into something about the other person or, or maybe another issue or sort of something sort of like, I just want them to not do that, which isn't, you know, none of those are feelings, right? Because the feelings are really scary because the feelings might challenge that connection. Right? I felt really angry, you know? Right, right. I felt really, I felt really hurt. Right. This is a question I have, like, for mm -hmm. in the LGBTQ plus community, right, because you've had to hide so much of yourself in our in our society, right? You have to hide, you can't be totally open. You can't just be who you are, because it you get all the messages that that's not right. Mm -hmm. Right? That mm -hmm. now in relationship, it's easy just to dismiss your needs. It's easy to just to put them aside. It's easy to just, just almost pretend they don't exist. Oh, it's easier to, yeah, I think it's a lot easier to pretend they don't exist when the stakes are, if I have these needs, it's going to get, it might get in the way of this. Right. Uh, it's, and, and what's hard too is, I mean, this is my bias, but LGBTQ people are some of the most empathetic, right? Sweetest, loving, right? Because when you kind of come out of hard things, that also creates all this tenderness, right? And all this yeah. like, uh, ability to have empathy, and mass amount of compassion because they so much compassion. You know, yeah. yeah. But when you can really connect with other people's feelings, it's sort of like you feel like you're not allowed to have your own in a way, right? It's like, well, if I understand how much pain you're in, so much pain that you had to steal from me, like, how can I be mad at you? Right. Which always, I think when I was first kind of, you know, learning this sort of language and, and doing my own recovery stuff, I would hear things like, well, you know, alcoholism is a disease, right? Nobody it's not a moral character thing. It's also not something people can just stop, right? Because it's, it's not that easy. If, if it was, we wouldn't be here talking, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I would be like, well, I, they can, you know, I can't, they can't help it, right? So how, I can't be mad. Right. Right. But at the same time, that's such a distortion of, of, of the reality of what's happening is that one, they're really suffering and I might be really sad or mad or betrayed. Right. And the problem is with that is that what if I have to do something about it? You know, right. What if I have oh, no. to say, like, you can't steal from me, you know, you got to go right. or, <laughs> or right. like, yeah, or just like, I don't think this is working. You know, this maybe we're dating a while and I'm kind of just like, it took me a lot. I mean, it took me a long time to get there. I was having times in my life where, I, you know, I was dating. I really wanted a relationship and I had periods of singlehood and, you know, I was sort of felt like I was getting my feet under me, you know, everyone I, I dated wasn't like, you know, brand new in recovery or anything like that anymore. But I would still be like, this person said they didn't smoke and they smoke, you know, right? which is not like, is it a, it's not a huge crime, but I would be like, well, now I got to do something about this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Or yeah. I can say to myself, well, you know, they really want to quit and they were planning on quitting and, you know, da 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 da. Because I've quit smoking. I know how hard it is. Right. But do I want to date? Do I want to continue that relationship or not? Right. And being able yeah. to like discern all that outside of all this other attachment trauma yeah. and unique trauma to the LGBTQ plus community, being able yeah. to separate all that out so that you can be congruent with yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Congruent is a really good word. Congruent is a good yeah. word because it's hard to, it's hard to feel congruent in one area and not in an or vice versa. It's hard to really yeah. not feel congruent in one area and feel it in another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think like someone like me, white cisgendered male, right? Therapist. What do you think I might miss if a, if a client came to me, what are some of the things that are commonly missed for the LGBTQ plus community that need attention and may not just may not be in my awareness you know, I may not have been exposed to it or what, whatever, right? I'm, I'm wondering, like, what are those things that are unique there? Yeah. And I mean, I will say, too, I think that I think that straight ally clinicians can do uh, wonderful things. You know, I don't think it's insurmountable. I mean, I have people who come to me and say, like, I really want you to be a lesbian or you to be queer. And I'm like, that's also great. You know, I also I mean, I did psychotherapy for seven years with a with a clinician who i honestly was so old school i think she was straight right <laughs> but i don't know i but didn't ask because like i knew it would be a whole therapist. thing <laughs> yes yeah. yes which is not for everybody it's funny. It's, like... <laughs> yeah it's not how it's funny it's not how i work but i got a lot out of it man because who boy does yeah. this stuff come up but i mean i will say that like one having kind of a working knowledge of some of the sort of, this is going to sound really, and I don't think that you need to know this, but, but you'd be surprised. Some of the stuff, like what it's like to try to have kids, right? What those barriers yeah. are, what maybe it was like to come out or what coming out really kind of usually actually means, which is not like it is on TV, you know, often it's, you'd be surprised at like, oh, everybody already kind of knew, but we never talked about it. So I actually right. never even came out. Right. But that's actually pretty common. Just asking, I think, what was your coming out like can be great. Right. Also, I think it's such a hard needle to thread that, you know, it's not all about sexuality or gender necessarily, but it's not not about it at the same time. Right. I think a lot of people in the uh, the other thing, too, is like a lot of people in the LGBTQ community are very aware of the smallness of the community. Even when I was dating, I was in a massive metropolitan area, and it was not like five degrees of Kevin Bacon. It was like two degrees, <laughs> right? If you dated someone in a peer group, the odds that you knew somebody who knew somebody who had also, you know, it was just felt really small, which can be a great thing, and it can be kind of hard. Yeah. Because it doesn't always feel like, oh, there's so many more fish in the sea, right? Or it's like, oh, I've, I've, I've ended a relationship with somebody, and now I've kind of been blacklisted from... 25% of, of, of people kind of in my age range, right. That I may be friends with that live in my neighborhood and go to the events I want to go to. And, you know, it can feel very small. So I think that's also kind of important, important for people to hold. Cause I think sometimes we get into this and I don't know if it's sort of the more, you know, Oh, Oh, oh well, if, if thinking this makes you sad, then don't think it right. Well, if it's sad right. to think that you might not find somebody don't think it, but that can be very invalidating. You know, it is yeah. really real. 
right? We're like, it is. Yeah. 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 Oh, I want to have a baby. Right. And I, the, both of the people in my relationship <laughs> have uteruses. Right. So how do we do this? It's a lot, right? There's yeah. a lot of different things to consider and finances and money and adoption and, uh, you know, other ways of doing it. it. It can feel sort of strange when you're, you end up explaining that to a provider. Right. Right. Like, like, like a having yeah. awareness of this helps this whole process unfold in a validating way. Yeah. And I think thinking about it sort of, I like that unfolding because thinking, you know, almost remembering to think about people in sort of a, a, a developmental process almost, right? That it does kind of affect every little part of the lifespan in a in its own unique way. You know, it's very different to be an LGBTQ senior. Yeah. You know, especially now there's like LGBTQ seniors who are like, what are these young people doing? Right. <laughs> what is this gender queer? Or, you know, in my day, right. we just had, you know, dykes and gay people and that was it. And they feel a little alienated. Right. Which I mean, on one hand, as a therapist, and you've got to be able to listen to that and hear that and make space from it. You don't have to sign off on everything. Right. But you right, want to become right. aware of what what maybe that experience is. What is it like to try to maybe think about, well, I, I'm going to retire. Maybe I'm slowing down a little bit. Maybe I've, you know, injured myself or need a little help around the house. How do I find a retirement community that maybe one, I can afford and two, I can just be myself in. It's yeah. all those sort of little subtle things that I think thinking about the lifespan is is a good way to do it. Yeah. And I will right. say <laughs> there's some things not to do. I had a therapist who I did not see for very long who was a union analyst who I thought I was so excited, right? right, was, right. And my insurance covered it. It was like a This miracle. is great. This is a perfect combo. I was like, this is so cool. And I would think too, a union analyst would be kind of groovy with gender and sexual, you know, very non-pathologies and stance. All true. But also just spent a lot of time telling me about like a lesbian coworker he had. I was like, I don't care. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm I'm, for that. I don't need to, you don't need to tell me how like woke you are about this. That's okay. Like you could just right. show, you don't have to tell. Like I was actually there, I was working with foster kids at the time and I was like, I got to process some of this secondary trauma. Right. Right. I, you right. know, I'm happily married. Like I'm not kind of, I'm not here for that right now, but, um, yeah. but at other points in my life, I really did need a space where I could be like, sometimes I'm worried. I'm like not butch enough. Right. Cause I don't know. Cause everybody seems to want to date the butch girls. And then if you're feminine, you've got to be like smoking hot. Right. I feel right. like there's no place for me. You know, not that straight women don't experience stuff with body image. Right. That's not some sort of takeaway from that, but it's very unique, you know? Yeah. So I needed somebody yeah. who could kind of be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Who knows and, enough and to appreciate know what, the, what butch you, might the yeah. appreciate the uniqueness of it all, how we're also, uh, all of us are just so different. Yeah. I mean, same and different. I don't it's know how so to, wild. you know, I was like. No, like, I have the same problem because people will be <laughs> like, oh, what it like you must hear, you know, da, 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 da. And you, don't you ever get sick of hearing people's stories? And you sort of try to explain what it's like to be a therapist. And you're like, well, one thing I've learned that people are all the same and they're all incredibly different. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah I don't I know, know how to put that into words. Yeah. It sounds like a contradiction, but. Yes. It's so like, you know, at the end of the day, we're all these human beings trying to make yeah. sense of this craziness, uh, yeah. trying to trying to find our way through life and make a meaningful life and feel like we have relationships that we love and feel good and all of that mm -hmm. stuff.
Mm-hmm. And it's all possible, and it is all so hard, and it is all so easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think people are going to love that. What are you saying? <laughs> it's like, it's everything. Yeah, sure. Why not? It, yeah. It's yeah. it's all there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I will say, too, I went from, you know, I know you were sort of saying that people like to sort of hear you know want to hear the stories and i've listened to your podcast and i know people it is so good to hear stories and i mean i had a time in my life where i thought i was successful and i was relatively successful and i was thought i was relatively happy and then i was you know um having to kick a partner out of my apartment because they were using iv drugs in my apartment and i was like yeah i have two degrees right well, yeah and i know about addiction and i know you know and and this person and that's the other thing is i i never want to be like oh this was a bad person they weren't a bad person they were a wonderful person right doesn't mean i could have that in my home right yeah yeah and it, but it took me a long time to actually learn what that meant right yeah it, with that it was a long journey from that to like oh this person lied about smoking i'm not going to go out with them again right because that person yeah. who started would have totally gone out with that person who lied about smoking again Right. Right. I'll keep know. doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. that's the other thing is like, I don't know that honestly, that could be okay for some people. But you know, when you grow up in a family with addiction, like it's just maybe never going to be okay. I just really need to, you know, just something I don't want in my life. Yeah. And learning to be yeah. comfortable in your own skin, being able to have your boundaries and be able to speak them. Yeah. Compassionately yeah. and with kindness, but these are my boundaries and these, these yeah. are, where it is. And I, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I mean, it, it shows like, even if we're in the helping profession and even if we're, you know, doing all these, we have all yeah. these degrees and we're marriage and family therapists, we're still human. And yeah. we bring all that humanity to this process. Yeah. And it's like, here we are, the, the wounded healers trying to like help the other wounded people. And I mean, but that's humanity. I don't know. It's just what it yeah. is. Yeah, well, and it gives you that empathy and that understanding. Yeah, you're never gonna. I'm never gonna know 100 percent what it's like to be you or my partner yeah. or one of my clients. But at the same time, I can kind of, I can take a few guesses. Yeah, 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 for sure. Totally, yeah. totally. Well, Miriam, we're kind of coming up on our time, so I want to thank you for sharing. Bef before you go, I'd just like to ask one question, and that's just is if someone is out there. And they're having a hard time. Maybe they're in the LGBTQ plus community and they're struggling with codependency or anything. And you'd want, you could share one thing to them. I mean, what would you want to share? I would say start is kind of one of my biggest things. And just start somewhere, right? Get a book, right? Go to an online code meeting. Keep your video off and just listen go through this podcast library, just find something that resonates and gives you some sort of sense of hope and also some sort of sense of direction and, and just kind of keep adding on. But I do think sometimes what we get stuck in is like, what's the right way, right? What's going to happen if, you know, I would just say, just get started with kind of follow your bliss, right? Maybe it is a time through therapy, right? Maybe that's what you're reaching out for. Maybe not. But I would say just kind of get started. And I would say two, I'm going to have two things. 
Okay. <laughs> say, to do a full court press, right? Like I don't I'm not a sports person, but I know what that means, right? So, you know, if you're doing books, maybe then you add on a group thing, right? If you got kind of a, a if you got a group recovery thing going that feels good, maybe you do do a therapist. Maybe you do a trauma informed yoga class, right? Maybe that one thing that you've been maybe that one hobby that's been on the back burner and you kind of added into your life. All of those things are actually, I think, in a way, what the recovery is, right? It's not about other people. It's about doing all those things and setting up your life in a way so you can do those things. And then suddenly relationships become a lot easier. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> it's that yeah. sort of the solution is not always in the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We get out of yeah. our, our own way and yeah. we, we we see the roadblocks in our our own personality or whatever. And, yeah, and we can yeah. we can manifest the things that we want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, abs absolutely. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. If people want to find more information about you, how, how can they find you? I have a website. It's miriamgeiger.com. Geiger is spelled Geiger, like Geiger counter. I don't, don't ask me why, just what my ancestors decided to do when they came here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's miriamgeiger.com. And I... I'm going to have, I'm so glad to be doing this podcast because it has gotten a little, a little fire under me where I'm like, you know, all those articles that I have written that are just nowhere, they're going to, they'll be up on there. So if you oh, want a, little, awesome. a few more pointers or some words of wisdom and you just go ahead and hop on there. Oh yeah, absolutely. I will put all the links in the show notes at the addictedmind.com as usual. And yeah, that would be awesome. So uh, yeah, yeah. go there and, and check it out. Miriam, thank you so much for for coming on and, and just sharing your wisdom and just oh. sharing who you are. Oh, I'm so happy to do it. I could have talked for like uh, all day. So <laughs> I appreciate you <laughs> holding a good space. <laughs> it was wonderful. You got it. You take care. You too. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. You know the drill. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com and you can find all the information about Miriam and her work. And if you're looking for support, reach out to her, check out her website. It's all there at theaddictedmind.com. And if you've gotten a lot out of this episode, write a review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast or share the podcast with a friend. I really do appreciate it. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. 
So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us, they have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.